We became entrepreneurs because more than anything, we want freedom. We want to be in control of our own schedule, income, and life. But unfortunately, that isn't always the reality of being a business owner. I'm Gillian Perkins, and I'm on a mission to take back entrepreneurship for what it's supposed to be. In every episode, I'll share with you how to get the most out of every hour you work so that you can work less and earn more. Let's get to it. If you've ever struggled to find the time to create the digital products that can bring passive income into your business because you were so busy running your business, then today's episode is for you. In it, I'm joined by guest host, Maureen Wolanski. She is one of our clients inside 100K Mastermind, and she is a food relationship expert, wellness speaker, and a nutritionist. Well, Maureen has some questions about how to find time to work on her digital products, as well as some sticking points that she's been running into as she's worked to scale her course. And she needed some expert advice. So I decided to invite Maureen onto the show to ask me these questions and record the answers so that we could share this information with all of you. With that being said, allow me to introduce to you Maureen Wolanski. Hi there, Maureen. Welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. Thank you for having me, Gillian. I'm very excited to be here and to talk with you. Absolutely. So I have some questions for you. And I'm really excited to hear your insights and what has come up for you and your experience through these questions. So a little bit about me is I've been in and out of business since 2010. So I've had some ups and I've had a lot of downs and I've quit and I've come back. And what I really love about you is just how authentic you are and how much you give in your YouTube channel. That's how I found you and how much you give in your programs as well. And I really found a kindred spirit with you. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Yeah. And all you do with your five kids and how you make it work and you say it in a way that it's very inspiring for other people too, that we can do that as well. So I've always just wondered these things about you. So I'm really excited to be able to ask you some questions. So first of all, I was wondering, what mindset practices do you use to build your business in your way so that you have time for your family and for yourself? So when you say mindset practices, Maureen, I'm curious what you have in mind. Are you thinking of things like, habits that I employ, like meditation practices or things like that? Or are you thinking more of things that I think that help me to do that? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's more about things that you think that really help you build what you've built the way you wanted to build it. Yeah. Well, my initial thought is that this is going to sound way too general. And you know me, I like to be so like tactical and practical. So you're putting me on the spot here, Marie, and you're making me like have to think hard, right? About what those thoughts are. Those thoughts are certainly there. It's not to discount the thoughts. I think that the reason I focus so much on the tactical is because I find that it's easier to start taking action first rather than trying to instill a belief in yourself or convince yourself of something or start to think a certain way when you don't really see any evidence of that happening yet. So if you're struggling to get started and you know that you need a different mindset, you're right, but don't let that stop you from getting started and starting moving forward and making progress. And probably that's the first mindset that 
I would talk about, right, would be this idea of don't wait until you feel like you're ready or until you feel like you are enlightened or something like that. Just start taking action with what you know, even if you know that right now you're not the person you need to be to create all the success that you want. Action creates motivation. Action creates inspiration. As you start moving forward, the next step will reveal itself. That is something that I found to be so true throughout building this business and throughout trying to figure things out in my life that I generally don't know everything I need to do to achieve a goal of mine. But I do know what the first thing is. We pretty much always know what the first thing is. Sometimes the first thing is just Googling, right? Like, I don't know what the first thing is. Okay, well, then first step is research. But whatever that first step is, just do it. And the next step will reveal itself when you successfully complete the first step. So that would have to be the first thing. The second thing would go right along with that. And that would be, again, this sounds so general, right? So I'm sorry, but you're capable of achieving anything that you set your mind to. And the one thing that will make you fail would be if you don't try, right? But as long as you try anything that someone else has achieved, you can achieve it too. You can learn from other people. You can do your own research. You can try and fail. But as long as you keep trying, you will keep making forward progress and you will eventually achieve it. I know it sounds so cheesy, but it is so true. And if you don't have that mindset about it, then you won't try because you will think that you are doomed for failure, right? But if you believe that putting in the effort will lead to results, then you will put in that effort, you will put in that action, and you will continue to make progress. The thing that I think that gets a lot of people tripped up on goal setting is that they struggle to believe that it's possible in a given time frame. So for example, like they might say, well, I don't know if I can make a million dollars this year, or they'll prove this to themselves by being like, well, if I set a goal of making $100 million this year, it doesn't matter how much I believe that it's not going to happen, right? Maybe not everyone does that consciously, but I think that we all kind of do that subconsciously. We all know that there's a limit on the goals we can set. And so some things that I like to do to kind of overcome that, one would be for those really big goals, like don't put a time limit on them. If you really want to earn $100,000 or $100 million, first of all, I'd say, why? Like, you know, what is your motivation there? What are you really trying to accomplish? Are you trying to get a feeling? Because I think a lot of the time with those like big money goals, really, we're trying to get a feeling. We think that that will make us feel happy or something like that, or will make us feel peaceful or secure. Anyway, so what are you really trying to achieve here? Maybe there's a different way we could achieve it. But then secondly, we don't have to put a time limit on it. That can just be the aim. We can just be working towards whatever that real goal is. Timelines are helpful, though. They are motivating. Having that deadline does give us a motivation to working, right? For taking action. Wow. Um, and for some people, they are essential. Some people are pretty diligent. They just get to work. They keep plugging along regardless of deadlines. But for other people, they're essential. If you don't have a deadline, then you're not going to do anything. Yeah. So especially if you're one of those people, do set deadlines, but set the deadlines for the goals that you know are achievable. Set shorter term deadlines and goals like a goal for this month and make sure that the things you're setting deadlines for are things that are very action oriented. So for example, if you had a goal to write a New York Times bestseller, if you said that you wanted to achieve that this year, you would probably have a lot of doubt that that is possible because it is doubtful that that is possible, right? Like the chances are relatively low that you can make it right. happen. But if you were to say, set a goal to write a book this year, suddenly that is doable. 
you can make that happen. Right. Now, of course, there could be some crazy circumstance that prevents you from achieving that goal. But outside of extenuating circumstances, in the normal course of events, if you do the work, you'll be able to make that happen. And then you might want to cut that down. And instead of, I will write a book this year, or my goal is to write a book this year, set it down as a, a month. So like this month, I will write the first three chapters of my book or I will outline my book and write the first chapter, something like that. That's really doable in a month or in a week. And I think that it's really important to just work with your personality and figure out for your personality, do you do better with really short-term goals or do you do better with having a bigger goal like a one-year goal? Wow. I really like what you shared about you don't work on your mindset and then take action. You take action and that changes your mindset. Mm-hmm. And it changes the belief. Yeah. And I think there's kind of two reasons why that happens. One is because as you start to work on your goals, you start to be inspired as you start to see the progress and you realize what you need to learn. So that's kind of the positive side. The negative side is that as you take action, you run up against challenges. And that is what often facilitates improvement in your mindset. When you run up against a challenge, you have to figure out how to change your mind to be able to overcome the obstacle. I love that. You have to think about how you're going to change your mind to overcome the obstacle. That's a keeper. I'm going to keep that. And when you're not taking any action yet, there are no real obstacles. You know, you just have all these imaginary obstacles. And the imaginary obstacles are like level 100 obstacles that you don't have the capacity to overcome yet. Yeah. So you need to start actually taking action. Then you start encountering the level one obstacles. You can easily get over those and you strengthen your mind in the process. Then you encounter the level two obstacles, okay? And you are slowly improving your mindset, improving your habits over time. Yeah, and it reminds me of how you build your courses too, like Startup Society and 100K Mastermind. It's all based on taking little actions and being able to check off. Yes, I did that. Yes, I did that. There's a lot to do, but you chunk it down so that it helps you take action and then working on your mind as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we always start out with a couple essential mindset lessons. Like here are some things you do need to know, you do need to believe, you do need to understand to go through this. But we're not going to spend too much time harping on those things, even though they're super important, because it's really difficult to understand them in a deep way where you can actually live them until you get a chance to put them into practice, because then you get to practice them And then you develop that skill. Yeah. But it doesn't matter how many books you read on mindset. It's not really going to sink in when you're not getting an opportunity to practice it or to put it into practice. I love that. And I just recently did my first webinar going through the process. Mm -hmm. And be okay with it not being perfect because it was just a matter of practicing. Yeah, for sure. And that just created such a whole new level of excitement for me. And that was from taking the action. So great. Well, my next question is, do you ever follow a specific approach to creating your business? If so, how do you tweak it so it's in alignment with your values? And I think what I'm asking here is, what kind of process do you go through when you're creating maybe a course? Like when a course comes through to you, what's the process of doing that? How do you do that so that you're balanced? Mm -hmm. Because I know your values are really about your family. Yeah. So are you thinking about like, how do I manage my time to be able to create that course while still running my business? 
Is that what you mean? Or do you lean more like, what is my process for creating the course itself? I think it's your first one. How do you create the course while you're also running the business? I know you have a team, but you're also running your home and homeschooling your kids. Mm-hmm. So first of all, I'd say I start with a really clear boundary as to how much time I want my business to take up, regardless of how many projects I'm taking on or how big the projects are or how important the projects are. I never work more than 30 hours at the very most. And it is extremely rare that I work 30 hours in a week. That might happen once a year. I might have a week when I work 30 hours. But by and large, I normally work about 20 hours a week. And like I said, very rarely surpasses 25. So I've started with that hard boundary. And the way that I enforce this boundary is just that I have working hours each day. Right now, my working hours is I start working at 9 a.m. And then I stop working at 1 p.m. And so when 1 p.m. comes around, then it's just like, okay, working time is done. If I've got something else, you know, that's really important I need to do today, I might work a little bit longer, maybe like half an hour longer to get that one last really important thing done. But I have somewhere to be after that. You know, I need to go up and eat lunch and then I need to do school with my kids. And I know that if I don't stop working by one o'clock or shortly thereafter, then it's going to push everything else later. We're going to be behind on everything else. And so it's not like there's just this, indefinite amount of time afterwards. And so I think that that really just comes from having a schedule. If you don't have a schedule, then it could be really hard to keep yourself to working on a business for a limited amount of time or working on it for enough time. So that'd be the first thing, just having that really hard and fast boundary there. The other thing would be that I strive to keep my business's overhead when it comes to time at a minimum. So overhead is a term that's normally used with business finance. So you've got maybe cost that is associated with how much it costs you to create each unit of product that you sell. So like, let's say I'm selling mugs. I sell them for $15. They cost me $5 each. Okay. So you might say I have a $10 profit margin there, but pretty much every business has also overhead. So this is expenses that you have every month that regardless of if you sell a single unit, regardless sometimes even if you produce a single unit, you still have to pay for those things. This might be things like the lease on the building that you run your business out of, your electricity bill, maybe the internet subscription. Of course, you could slash any of these costs at any point in time. But as long as you keep running your business as is, you're going to keep having those costs, again, regardless of whether you sell any units of product. Now, we experience the same thing with our time in our business. So regardless of whether I successfully make any sales this month, there are certain things I have to do to keep my business running as I run it. So for me, this would be things like taking the time to pay the people who work for me, answering the emails that come into my inbox so my inbox does not get completely overwhelmed and so that people don't think that I'm flaky, creating content to continue to market my product, including like writing emails for my email marketing. Those are just a few examples. But Those are things that, yes, I could stop doing them at any time, but if I did, then my business would be negatively affected. Now, in order to be able to have time to do new projects, to create new courses or to launch courses or to pursue new business ventures, I have to keep those overhead tasks at a minimum. And so this is really where my idea of work less, earn more came from, or at least is a big part of that idea that we need to keep our businesses simple or else we can stifle our own growth by 
overwhelming ourselves with the daily tasks of running the business. It's really hard to grow the business when you are at capacity, when you are overwhelmed, when you've given yourself too much busy work. So those are kind of the foundational things, I would say. And so inside of that container, it's actually relatively easy to find the time to create a new course. Now, it's easy for me to say that. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that because every week I work 20 to 25 hours, you know, sometimes a little less, but normally it's 20 to 25 hours per week. So I feel like my time is already full. And so right now the thought of like creating a new course sounds like I couldn't possibly have the time for that. But I know that the reason for that is because, right, I'm working on a different project, not an overhead type project, but a project that I will finish. And when I finish that project, then once again, there will be this kind of hole in my schedule. And now the other reason why it doesn't feel like I have time is because there's never a hole in my schedule. I always got a list of projects that I want to pursue, whether that's new courses I want to create or new marketing strategies I want to experiment with or things like that. Like I said, there's never a hole in my schedule. As soon as I finish up one of those projects, another one just immediately fills in that time in my schedule. So I would say that my time is typically about like 60-40. So 60% of my time is spent on overhead And that might sound like a lot. I guess I'll talk more about that in a moment. But about 60% of my time is spent on those overhead tasks, leaving about 40% for those kind of one-off projects, pursuing new ventures, creating new products, et cetera. So 60%, it might sound like a lot for overhead. It would kind of depend on how you class it. I'm including like everything that it takes to run my business in that 60%. So if we think about 60% of 20 hours, that would be 12 hours a week. I spend 12 hours a week actually running my business. And I could put the kibosh on all new projects and just work 12 hours a week to run my business at its current capacity. The other eight to 12 or so hours a week, I'm just spending on projects to work on growing my business to new heights and reach new goals. Okay. So what would be an example of part of that 40%? So I would say that most of the year, the 40% is probably working on new marketing initiatives. So whether this is collaborating with new partners to work on expanding my audience or trying new advertising strategies or working on getting me on podcasts as a guest or things like that, not all of those things all at once. Normally, we're working on like maybe about two or three of those strategies. But this also includes things like right now we're redesigning my website from scratch. Like we're moving to a completely different platform, whole new website. It's quite a mixed bag growing the business in different ways. Sometimes it is improving infrastructure, like with the website. Sometimes it's new marketing initiatives. And then I would say on average, once a year, is creating some sort of a new product or program. It's very much on average once a year because there have been years when I did like two or three new programs. And then actually last year, we launched 100K Mastermind. This year, not a single new program. So it really depends on the year. Because I work a limited amount, there are only so many projects we can fit in each year. And so I think that makes it quite a mixed bag because after we finish up an infrastructure project, we need to move on to a marketing project. Then it's time to move on to creating a new product or just improving or updating a current product. Okay. That is so helpful. That's very inspiring too, that when you're focused enough, and it's kind of like that Parkinson's law, that the tasks you have will fill the time you have. And so that's really exciting to me as well. So thank you for sharing that. Okay, so let me interrupt this conversation for just a minute to chat with you about 100K Mastermind. So you might be wondering, like, where is Maureen coming from that she is working on building this funnel for her course and scaling it? 
And the answer is she's following along with 100K Mastermind. So 100K Mastermind is our group coaching program for course creators who want to scale their course to $100,000 per year. It's a 12-month group coaching program where we work with clients to scale their course using an automated sales funnel and an evergreen lead generation system. So in short, how this works is we have a very strategic and thorough curriculum that you follow along with to learn how to build your course. But it doesn't stop there because we want to make sure that you have all of the support you need to really get this done. So we pair every single 100K Mastermind client up with a one-on-one coach who they work with throughout the program. And then we also host group coaching sessions every week that you can attend as often as you need the extra support. Now, this program takes a lot of our team's capacity because we are working so closely with each of the clients in it. And so we run it just a couple of times per year. If you would like to get your name on the top of the list for our next cohort, then what you need to do is go to gillianperkins.com slash 100K. So that's just gillianperkins.com slash 100K. And on that page, you will find more details about the program, including information about our next start date and a button that will take you to the application form. And that is the next step to fill out the short application form. It'll probably take you five or 10 minutes if I'm being generous just to tell us about the offer that you want to scale and about where you're at with your business right now. Then from there, our enrollment coordinator, Samantha Harris, will follow up with you to let you know whether or not it looks like you are a good fit for the program and to book a call to talk final details with you. If you are a course creator and your goal is to scale your course to six-figure success, then we would love to work with you. Head to gillianperkins.com slash 100K to submit your application today. So my next question is, so when a launch doesn't go as anticipated and you feel some disappointment. So I know for me, when I feel it, I like, oh, that's it. I'm done. I'm not doing it. You know, I have like a little temper tantrum. And then I kind of, the adult comes back and calms me down so that I continue moving forward. But I was just wondering, what do you do when things don't go as anticipated? Well, I've got a question for you, Maureen. So when your launch doesn't go as planned and you feel disappointed and it's sound like frustrated, is that kind of the word maybe you'd use to describe that feeling? Yeah. What do you think like is making you feel frustrated? Like what are you actually frustrated about? I mean, obviously you're frustrated that the launch didn't go as planned, but what are you telling yourself was the reason for that? Or what are you telling yourself is true that you're actually upset about? So I'm telling myself things that are not true. So like the old (laughs) beliefs that no matter how hard I work, this isn't going to work. So there's that old one. Mm -hmm. And then there's like this new way of, I don't know what I'm doing, or I don't know how to do this so that I can reach more people. And then that creates a frustration as well. And then the frustration and the disappointment is so uncomfortable that I think the stress response is to flee. (laughs) Yeah, just to run away, you know, this, I don't want to feel this. So I'm going to just run away. And then I do that. But then I come back. Yeah, slowly, but it's a very exhausting process. For sure. So you hit the nail on the head when you said you're telling yourself things that are not true. Okay. And a lot of the time we don't tell ourselves what we're telling ourselves. 
we just feel this really uncomfortable feeling and it feels scary and overwhelming and we want to run away and we don't, we were like, this launch should go as planned and then that made me feel terrible. And so now I want to quit all of this because this makes me feel so bad, right? So the first step, and it sounds so obvious, is to tell ourselves what we're telling ourselves. Like, I just ask you, like, what are you telling yourself? What are you believing that is making you so upset? You're not so upset that the lunch didn't go as planned. Right. Okay. You're not so upset that the launch went badly. The launch could have gone badly and you could have told yourself that it meant something completely different. You could have told yourself, I was trying that launch strategy and now I know that launch strategy didn't work. That's great. Now next time we'll do the other launch strategy. Or now I know that I need to work with a coach or something like that, right? You could have said like, this is positive feedback. And I'm not saying that's the only thing you could have told yourself. There's a lot of things you could have told yourself, but you literally just told me that the thing is you tell yourself are not true, right? Right. So if we tell ourselves, okay, this is what I'm telling myself, and then you look at it like your way and you're like, that's not true, then we can figure out, okay, so what is the truth? And most of the time, there's something that is much more powerful to believe, much more positive to believe, much more inspiring, much more motivating to believe that actually is much truer than the line we are telling ourselves. So I would say that that's the main thing. Okay. Another thing that you can do that I think is really helpful is you talked about like those feelings of anxiety or stress or frustration that inspire that like fight or flight response. And it's like, I want to run away from my business. So instead of having that reaction to those feelings, I think it's really helpful to just feel the feeling because most of the time the feelings are not nearly as scary as we think they are like. So we're like worried about the feelings. We think like this feeling makes me feel bad. So I want to run away. But if we actually just literally sit and close your eyes, there's like, what does anxiety feel like? What does frustration feel like in my body? It's actually like a very small feeling. Yeah. (laughs) When we sit and we give it a little bit of space. It's more like when we're trying to fight against it, that we want to run away because fighting that feeling feels terrible. Feeling the feeling feels a little bad, but not terrible. Right. So that'd be the next thing. Now, of course, we want to figure out what can we do so that we don't experience this again in the future. But we also want to keep in mind that, like I said earlier, we don't improve our mindset until we experience a challenge and we overcome it. Yeah. Like that's really the only way to like level up is to overcome the challenge to fight the dragon. And so we don't necessarily need to be like, that didn't work. Let's change everything. Or that didn't work. I never want to experience that again. We actually do want to experience that again, even though it's uncomfortable, like it's how we grow. Yeah. I know. Easier said than done, right? <laughs> right. But as far as like strategy, I think that the most important thing is to be black and white about it. Like do a solid post-mortem and be like really detailed. Okay. This is what I did to market the like the webinar. This is what I did on the webinar. This is all the different aspects of your launch and pinpoint which ones did work. Because a lot of the time in a failed launch, most things did work. Like nine out of 10 things worked really well. And there was just like one or two points of failure. It's pretty easy to fix those one or two points of failure and have your next launch go way better. Yeah. If you just react to the end result, if you're just like, I only made two sales. I have an email list of a thousand people. I only made two sales. This launch was a failure. I feel terrible about this then that's not going to grow you. That's not going to improve your future results. But if you go through the process I just talked to you through, first, telling yourself what you're telling yourself and getting clear on like what's really true about the situation, separating your thoughts from your feelings, 
Second, that you feel your feelings, okay, because that makes them way less scary. And then third, that you do a strategic analysis and you identify those points of failure. And then you finally work on finding alternative solutions or at least alternative things to try. They might not be solutions. You might try something else and that doesn't work either. But how many things do you think you'll need to try before you find one that works? Yeah. Probably not very many, right? right? I mean, think about how many things you had to try to get those other parts to work. Like if your launch involved 10 different steps or components, all the other ones worked. Like seven or eight of them worked. And how many iterations had you done for those ones? Probably not very many. Right. Would be my guess. Just because that's a lot of things to test. Most of us haven't tested like a whole lot of different options. You managed to find a solution, something that worked for all of those with just a few tries. So for those last few things you need to solve for, you just need to do a few more tries. You'll find something that works. That is so helpful. And I can see how I did it kind of in a backwards way as I went without the stories and feeling the feelings. I went to the strategic part. And then that's when I really deepened the frustration, the disappointment, because I didn't take care of those at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't go into that post-mortem with the strategic mind because my emotions mm-hmm. were taking over. And then the key was taking that to my success coach, Gabe, and having her help me through because we saw it was visibility. That was the issue. Okay, so how are we going to increase that? And then we created a plan. Yeah. So thank you for that. That gives me a step-by-step way of going about it. Yeah, for sure. If you try to fix the problem before you've worked through your problematic thoughts and emotions, then you are approaching it full of frustration and you're already in this mindset of this didn't work and you will approach the problem like that and you will not be able to see the possibilities, the opportunities, the other options. You'll be so focused on what didn't work. You'll be so focused on the negative. Thank you. That's great. I am that. That is in my mind now. And then my final question was, I found you on YouTube and I think that God lives in YouTube because he just throws things out at me. I go, oh, that's interesting. I'll watch that. I wasn't even thinking about going back into business when I found you. And then seeing your massive following, how did you build that without social media? That's a good question. So there's more than one way to do it, right? So the way that it worked for me is not the only way to do it. In my case, you mentioned without social media. And I know that the reason you mentioned that is because I've been quite public about the fact that I quit social media to build my following, which sounds like really counterintuitive to a lot of people. And sometimes when they hear how I did, they're like, oh, that's social media. I used YouTube, which the reason I don't have that as social media is, and not to say there's no like crossover or no connection or it's not, you know, somewhat social media. But when I'm talking about social media, I'm thinking about things like Facebook and Instagram and Twitter where people are posting like updates on their life posting their opinions more short form. Yeah. YouTube, there's certainly like a social media component to it, right? Like people are creating content that's social media. But it's very different from those other places in that we're not giving these like short little like tweetable moments on all those other platforms. The shelf life of the content is super short. You have to keep posting content nonstop. And each piece of content you post does like a tiny little bit of audience growth for you, if any, right? Yeah. YouTube is a lot more like blogging or podcasting. It's long form content creation. You are putting in effort to make one really good piece of content, maybe on a weekly basis, for example, although you don't have to do it that way. Then you're putting it out there in the world. It can make a substantial impact on your audience growth and it is evergreen. 
meaning it stays there on YouTube. People keep finding it via search. YouTube keeps suggesting it to people for literal years after you create that piece of content. So while it is a great idea to post on YouTube once a week so that the people who have subscribed to your channel or who have watched one of your videos are seeing a continuous stream of new content to continue to build their relationship with you and for you to continue to establish your authority with them. And it also means that you are giving the algorithm more and more content to share with people. It's a good strategy to have. But even if you don't keep posting once a week, your YouTube channel can live on and it can keep sending you leads and growing your audience for years, even if you completely stop posting. Yeah. So I really love that about YouTube because it is ultimately much more passive than any other form of social media. While it requires a substantial amount of work, it is more kind of like project-based rather than like a constant content hamster wheel. Yeah. So what I did was I had been posting on a variety of different platforms. I'd say mostly Instagram and Facebook and YouTube, but also definitely dabbling in like Pinterest and LinkedIn and things like that as well. I was trying to put hand in a lot of different buckets and grow my audience in a bunch of different places at once. I wanted to be everywhere. And that just was not working. It was like when you see that diagram of a circle with a bunch of arrows pointing out of it, and each arrow is really short, okay? You're trying to do all these different things. I was not making much progress with any of them. And I've seen this with so many people. When they finally decided to scrap everything, focus on one thing, they were able to make so much more progress with that one thing because now that one thing had their full attention, their full focus. It had all of their energy, all of their time invested into it. You can just make so much more progress. And I think that one of the reasons for that is that in order to overcome your competition on any platform, you need to be doing better than them in some way. Maybe it's more content. Maybe it's better content. Maybe you're just bringing your unique angle and energy to the table. But you need to be fully present there to be able to overcome the competition because there's going to be competition on any platform. Yeah. And as long as you're spreading yourself thin, not only are you like not giving each platform very much time, but it's less time, less energies, less focus than your competitors are. As soon as you go all in on one platform, suddenly you are giving that platform way more energy and time and attention than most of your competitors are. And so that is when you can really overcome that hump and you can get that momentum and start to really grow. So that was what I did finally after a year or two of posting on a variety of platforms, trying to grow my audience, seeing like no growth at all. I finally decided to just double down on YouTube because I had had some random success on there a few years prior. I had started a channel and I had posted like really low quality videos. They were nothing special at all. And I definitely was not fitting in enough time or attention or anything to overcome my competitors. But despite my lack of effort or my poor showing, still, I had had several videos do exceptionally well and get thousands and a couple of them got hundreds of thousands of views. And I was like, wow, if that was possible, just thanks to the algorithm and thanks to some time, then what would it be possible like if I actually gave this the attention maybe it deserves? If I actually invested some time and energy into learning how to make good quality videos and finding topics that people were really interested in watching, learning to work with the algorithm. That seems like there's a good chance that it would work out really well. So I decided to just commit myself to YouTube for three months, double down on YouTube, post a video every single week, no matter what, um, make the videos the best I could, ignore all other social media, and truly make it a priority in my business. 
So my habit for those first three months and after I saw how well it worked for the next couple of years was every single Monday film a video, regardless of whether I was feeling like doing it or not, regardless of if I was sick, regardless of if I was traveling every single Monday, no matter what, this is my priority. Now, of course, there were exceptions. Like if I was literally sick in bed, I wasn't going to make myself film a video. Or if I couldn't, then I couldn't, you know. But if it was at all possible, if I was up doing anything, then it was going to happen. Like if I was doing anything, that is what I was going to do. And so after three months, my YouTube channel had grown to over a thousand subscribers. It was monetized and my audience was growing just incredibly quickly. And it was just amazing to have gone from basically nothing, from seeing no progress to creating that much progress in that little time. And so I just kept on with it. I just kept on focusing on YouTube, working on making my videos get better and better, learning more and more about the algorithm and continuing to learn how to grow on YouTube. And it just kept working and kept working and kept working. Finally, after focusing on YouTube for probably about three years, I did start to dabble in some other platforms and try some new strategies. But I waited until it was like really solid and I knew that I had a proven process. I really love that about creating the habit around no matter what, creating mm -hmm. the video, which creates the consistency and also kind of goes back to our first question about goals in 90 days. You know, I'm going to do this for 90 days mm -hmm. and see where it takes me. And usually, you know, having that curiosity. So it kind of like blends in everything that we've talked about previously. So thank you. I'm very excited. For me, the habit of it was essential. Like I said, I tried to start a different YouTube channel a few years prior, and I really wanted to post videos. I really wanted to make good videos. I really wanted to be consistent with it. I really wanted it to grow, but it didn't matter how much I wanted it. It didn't matter how motivated I was. I couldn't get around to doing it. I couldn't manage to be consistent. I couldn't manage to make it a priority. It was only when I simply gave it a spot in my schedule and I decided exactly what I was going to do and when I was going to do it, suddenly it was easy. It was so much easier to make a video every single week than it had been to make two videos a month when I didn't have a routine around it. Yeah, that routine, that structure is just so important. Thank you for sharing all this. I'm very inspired and excited to spend this time with you and then be able to kind of soak you in and go forward in creating my business. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Maureen, so much for all of your great questions today. This has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time and not only our time here today, but the time to think of these questions that are so well thought out and I know are going to help the listeners so much. Thank you so much for being our guest host today. Is there anything you want to end this session with before we wrap this up? I'm just really so excited and kind of amazed just the process of finding you and being in your community. And I've been in a lot of coaches' communities. I've been a coach in a community. So being in your community has been so different, so open and they're kind and they're caring, but it's also a process where it's like, get moving <laughs> in a very <laughs> loving way, a little kick in the pants, which I need sometimes. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Maureen, so much. This has been fantastic. Thank you again. And I hope we get the opportunity to do this again at some point. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Work Less, Earn More. Now, here's what I want you to do next. 
Take a screenshot of this episode you're listening to right now and share it out on your Instagram stories. And when you do, make sure you tag me at Gillian Z Perkins so I can see you're listening. Sharing on stories is going to help more people find this podcast so they too can learn how to build their business in a way that allows them to work less and earn more. And if you really love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts right now and leave Work Less, Earn More a review to give it a boost and help even more people find it. Okay, let's wrap this up. I'm Gillian Perkins. And until next week, stay focused and take action.